Hey, this is Dave Pryor for The Reluctant Agilist. I'd like to thank projectmanagement.com once again for sponsoring the podcast. And today we're going to talk about sort of like PMOs, but PMOs that support Agile, which is kind of a strange thing. I have a really great example that I'm excited for you to hear about. So I would like to thank Jacqueline. I'm going to mess up your last name. Talpilar? Talpilar. Okay. She's the Director of Agile Operations and Michelle Dennis, the Director of Product Management. And we're at Hearst Digital Media. And we're doing this in person, yeah. which is weird because I'm used to just staring at a screen. So thank you for staying late tonight. <laughs> of course. Um, so we met a few weeks ago. I was giving a talk about how to redefine your PMO to support Agile. And you were both looking at me like, why the hell are you talking about this? Because you already have that. I think I asked, what, what is a PMO? <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started with the interview, let's, let's kind of go a little bit higher level. What does Hearst Digital Media do? So Hearst Digital Media is an organization that is a publication company, okay. um, but we're the digital side. So all magazine brands under our umbrella, um, you may have heard of a few of them, Cosmopolitan.com, L.com, Esquire.com. Um, that's just a few of the brands that we okay. have, and we're an international platform. So all of these sites are, um, not only is there a U.S. version, but we have versions in, in London, mm -hmm. Italy, Spain, Netherlands. Everywhere. 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 And okay. we have probably today um, over 70 brands on the platform. And okay. the past year, we uh, onboarded 48 sites. Wow. So that's almost one a week. Okay, and, yeah. Um, and so we uh, onboard new sites onto the platform all, all the time, and it's um, a global publishing platform that okay. services um, multiple business units within Hearst. All right, and what about the group that you are both involved with? What does that group focus on doing? Two sides, so okay. that specifically, so what you're seeing on the front end right. as an end user if you're going to the website, and we also work on the content management system that our editorial team uses to publish the content, okay. which we built internally. Okay. How many people come and look at the magazines? This year in the U.S., there were 1,995,000 people that visited our Okay, sites. so it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's right. a lot. So I know that the work you do supporting the content management mm -hmm. system involves microservices, and that's something that I am a little bit fuzzy on, so I just want to throw this out there and see if it sticks. So you've got all these sites, all these publications, and you have this content management system, and people want to introduce new content it out there for folks to look at and that may require special tools or add-ons or things that can help create the content and present it in a way that is user-friendly and will engage people mm -hmm. is that close yeah i mean it's basically it's the approach that's used to do that okay um, which is basically modularizing the way that we've built the platform okay so each of these microservices talk to each other Okay. Um, to enable certain functionality that lives in different services. Okay, cool. And we actually used to be monolithic. So meaning, we used to be the opposite when Jacqueline and I first started here. And it was one platform. It was still the same idea where it was unified. So right. website, a lot of websites were on the same platform. But um, breaking it out into microservices allowed us to be more nimble and agile. So, okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were very excited to have that happen and it really changed our process here. And that, that didn't happen overnight. You've been working at this mm -hmm. for a couple of years. Yep, so I started at Hearst four years ago. Okay. Um, when I started, we were three teams um, and we could call them scrum teams. We were using Jira, so okay. that was a so start. So you're agile. <laughs> we were agile, yeah. for sure, for takes. sure. Um, <laughs> 
So I started as the first Scrum Master here. Okay. Um, and at that time, it was really about starting from the ground up. Okay. You know, really basic, like, what is a story point? What is a user story? How do we make a user story clear with acceptance criteria? What's the right format for that? Um, I was lucky enough to have learned a lot at IBM. Okay. Um, so I was a consultant there and had gotten trained internally. Okay. Um, I had some great mentors there. Shout out to Rob Purdy. He's awesome. I think you actually know him. Yeah. Um, so I had the opportunity to learn Scrum in a way that it made a lot of sense to me because I okay. had been on more waterfall projects before that. And you're coming into a primarily waterfall industry. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so it was an opportunity to start from scratch in industry. Um, right. I had happened to have an interest in the media world based on my experience in college and what I had majored in. Okay. Uh, and so I saw it as an opportunity to sort of mesh my personal interests with a passion that I had learned okay. on the job. And so we started from square one and said, we have three teams. How can we get them working in a more effective way? And now you have how many teams? 24. That's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, never knew that it was going to get to be this size, so it's been really cool. Okay. Um, and the hurdles along the way have, you know, the, the battle scars are, are, are real, are real yeah. and I, I wear them proudly because I, I think, you know, Michelle would say the same. Looking at um, the path we've taken to now, it's really exciting to see yeah. where we are. Yeah, and, and the, the picture, which you should, hopefully I'll be able to make a decent enough copy of it, but the picture on the wall yeah. is really incredible. Yeah. Thanks. Um, what's the hardest part? What's been the hardest part over the last couple of years? Oh, I, I mean, I definitely think that tr the transformation was hard because during a transformation towards anything, right. um, you always doubt whether or not you're doing it right or is there a right way or mm -hmm. should we be doing different? So I do think it was um, the early transformation days were hard. Um, mm -hmm. And transparency um, was a hard thing. Okay. Um, I think that was an area that it comes down to, you know, when, when I think about the Agile Manifesto to bring right. it there, individuals and interactions matter more than processes and tools. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a tool that enables you to share information in a right. clear, clean way, everything breaks. Okay. Um, so we were experimenting with different ways that we could share out information. That was difficult at times. So can, I just want to mm -hmm. dig into this part. So I'm assuming that at that point, you've got scrum teams or whatever producing agile artifacts. Mm -hmm. There's tons of waterfall teams producing artifacts. Mm -hmm. The people upstairs are only used to waterfall, and you've got to figure out how to show them, you know, our velocity is 15 mm -hmm. and what that means and all that. Like, mm -hmm. I actually think our our leadership was really supportive of um, oh, Agile, which was helpful. Mm -hmm. okay. I think at the team level, um, there was other middle management groups or the team didn't feel comfortable being transparent. Mm -hmm. okay. um, maybe they came from a waterfall environment and weren't used to saying, this is how long it's going to take me. Um, and then when they didn't meet that deadline, they were afraid mm -hmm. to say that we could go another route or sure. whatever the case was. So I think that's what we mean by transparency. Yeah, I mean, and I would also add, I think because we hadn't as a team yet solidified the understanding of finding your velocity okay. and understanding how to plan and run, let's say a feature planning session and what does that mean and helping the team get accurate with estimates took okay. time. So at that moment in time, just starting with transparency can be hard. 
Yeah. Because what you're basically saying is... Everything's ugly. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So And so it took some time to be comfortable saying that. Okay. Um, sure. To get it to a place where we could then just work at getting better and okay. getting more accurate and more predictable. Um, and then, you know, we started by saying, how can we improve our velocity? Um, and then we said, well, hold on. That's not what matters most. Right Good. now, we need to start with predictability. Okay, awesome. And that's where we started. Okay, and has that evolved beyond that? I mean, do you have predictability now? Yes, yeah. we actually have some stats for that. Yeah. And okay. I'll do a little trivia to Jacqueline right now as our as our uh, Agile operations person in <laughs> okay. real time. Okay, I'm in, ready. In 2008, what was our average velocity? 2018, what was our average velocity? So last year at this time, we were at 84%, which was three years in. Which when you say 84%, what do you predictability. mean? Predictability. So 84% of the commitment was met. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, this year, we're at 92%. Okay. So uh, I want to point out for the folks that are listening that they didn't just say a number of points that were achieved, because mm -hmm. the whole thing is really about, I said I'm going to eat 50 eggs, how many eggs did I actually eat? Mm -hmm. And that does is an improvement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we measure um, quite a few metrics in terms of agile metrics beyond just business and, and product metrics, um, but some of the big ones are predictability and then commitment predictability. And so we look what do you at mean that. By that. So the difference being, let's say we started with fifty points at okay. the beginning of the sprint, and we got fifty points done but they weren't the same 50. Oh, you were swapping stuff out. Yeah, okay. so what does that tell us versus okay. if it was every story that we said we were gonna get done. Wow. Um, and so sometimes, you know, context is key. Yeah. So it's okay, um, but that predictability number is a different number okay. and tells us something different. You know, cool. we may have had to swap priorities because of something critical that came in and we're okay with that as long as we're acknowledging, hey, this other thing isn't gonna get done. Yeah. Okay. And we've gotten to a point actually with our stakeholders where, um, you know, they, we bring the priority list to them and they're like, well, we, they actually say the words, we have to reorder this. We have to reprioritize <laughs> mm -hmm. this. That's awesome. And so over the past year, like few years, they've become accustomed with how they um, work with us in okay. a different way as well. So, so how are they prioritizing it? Do you have a technique that they, that they use or? So we do have, um, we have a strategy grid, which we use to um, communicate with our stakeholders, and it shows okay. um, it's, it's a grid, and it has on the left it has your um, business goals, and then um, it has the stakeholder groups and projects listed out that might achieve those goals. Okay. And so they have those listed out, and in some cases we'll do discovery on one of them, and they'll say, it actually, you know, it's quarterly, so we do quarterly planning, and okay. um, they'll say, we actually, something changed this quarter. We, we want to switch out something on our grid and we'll switch out what we had originally committed okay. to because something else important came up. Mm -hmm. And um, because of the system we have for prioritization, they feel comfortable. So they can kind of score things to see where they fit inside the grid. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's interesting. What I would add to that too is we've experimented with potential approaches to prioritization. Okay. Um, you know, there's things like weighted shortest job first. Um, we never really liked that here. Okay. Um, it felt really calculated in a way that so much of our business is about what's gonna get a user to click to the next screen. Sure. Or, or buy that product. Um, and so- Or read another story. Or read another story, <clears throat> yeah, watch another video. So it was, it felt too calculated to sit there and say, let's 
put a score next to some long calculation sure. that's going to tell us which one is first. Um, but over time, I would say when there's something that is really difficult and we're not sure which should take higher priority, yeah. we do go more towards, you know, like what do the numbers tell us? What does the data say? Right. Um, we do effort versus value. Mm -hmm. um, so okay. small, medium, large for both. And usually the sweet spot is, obviously, you know, when something is small effort but gives a lot of value. Right. And that also uh, leads to how we break up the work. Okay. Um, and if we can make something small enough but deliver the value, and if you think of our strategy grid, if the value um, matches up with an item on the strategy grid, we're, you know, in, a, in good shape. And is the, so the value is, is a, com it's a common understanding of what that is from the top of the food chain down to the team level. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's something that often gets lost along the way. Yeah, I, what I would say is um, it's something that we're constantly working at new ways to connect the team to business okay. goals. Um, and the value of those goals. Okay. Um, we talked earlier um, as we were walking in about the goals meeting that yes, we have. Yes, which I'm going to ask you to explain. Well, now would be a great time oh, to explain it. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you have the constructs of the Scrum framework. Right. So, kicking off a sprint, you have your daily stand up, you have backlog grooming. We tend to do it about halfway through the sprint. Okay. And that gives us time to follow up on anything that we still have open questions for. Um, we have our end of sprint retro and sprint planning, which will go into the new sprint. Sure. Um, we do demos a little differently here, so that's probably something to sideline for the okay. moment. Um, but when it comes to how we've scaled and bringing business value understanding to the teams, we've inserted another ceremony that's her specific okay. called the sprint goals meeting. And it happens before grooming. Okay. And we put our product owner tech lead and scrum master in a room with our leadership team, which happens to be our Agile PMO. So, so that that's important to note as well. So mm -hmm. you've got an Agile PMO above mm -hmm. the scrum master, the tech lead, and the PO. Correct. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you're talking to our director of Agile operations and product director. Right. So the scrum master team and Agile operations is my world. The product team and a portion of the product team is Michelle's world. Okay. Uh, we have a few other product directors that own different areas of functionality. Um, and then we have our VP of engineering. And uh, there are other engineering leads that are spread out as well. But our okay. VP of engineering is part of our Agile PMO. So one of us across the disciplines is always in these goals meetings. Okay to make sure that we're aligned with the direction that that work is going. So you're kind of bringing them back to the home base or they're bringing you back to home it's base? It's a little That's, of both. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're getting business priorities from a lot of places. Yeah. The high visibility ones we're generally hearing about. There wouldn't be an instance I can think of where it wouldn't come through us in mm -hmm. some form or another. Okay. Um, our product owners at the team level are also working directly with our stakeholders. Okay. So they're managing that, and this goals meeting is a two-way conversation. Okay. And we're basically sitting down to make sure that we're aligned on our priorities. Okay. And that is where conversations about t-shirt size sure. and value are coming up. Okay. Um, it may have come from a lot of places. Sometimes it comes from, like I said, the product owner having a conversation with a stakeholder. Other times it'll be coming from 
you know, a high-level executive stakeholder that's coming to one of us and explaining why this is so important. Okay. But that sprint goals meeting is the jumping-off point to reach alignment on business value. Okay. Um, and then you have your product owner and tech lead and scrum master being able to go back to the team okay. and very clearly articulate it. And it, so, and it doesn't mean that those goals, like sometimes they, before sprint planning, something happens, we they have change. to, they change. Sure. Yep. Um, but it's it's one of my favorite meetings because we're all able to have this collaboration between yeah. PMO and, and team and, and talk about the level of effort and um, make sure that we're, what we're committing to is real and making sure that the team is aligned with the vision. I think a really good example would be the goals meeting that we just came out of today. There was a line item on the upcoming priorities um, for a particular feature. And I was actually covering for that team Scrum Master yesterday and okay. had run a feature planning with the team. So we said, here's a feature we think we want to do. Right. We're not yet sure if the level of effort is worth the value it's going to bring. So let's plan out how large we think this is. Right. Okay. We said it's a medium. But what does that really mean? So when you say plan out, you're not going down to the task level, right? No. Okay. So what we do is we get in a room as a full Scrum team. The product owner presents the business case, and uh, they have essentially like an elevator pitch criteria that we filled out that all of our product team works off of. Okay. And our version of it is called the inception deck. Okay. So they bring their inception deck and they pitch to the team. And after they've pitched, we take about two hours, so it's a pretty hefty meeting, right. um, where the team puts all the user stories that would be needed to complete this project okay. on a wall. Then we relatively estimate them not going into the task So when you level. say put them on a wall, is it like a story mapping thing or you're just putting them on the wall? To it's look a story mapping, ver it's a version of story mapping, okay. yes. So okay. call it story mapping. Um, and then we relative size point them and we slot them into sprints. And okay. knowing that this is a plan that we plan to replan, Sure. But this is what we're looking at as our starting point. Okay. And so for this example, they left yesterday and said this looks like it's going to be about five sprints. To um, deliver this one particular thing. Exactly. Okay. And with and that. And with that, I said, why can't we make it smaller? <laughs> my, okay. my typical uh, product, product owner, owner response. response. Just do it faster. Uh -huh. Yeah, just do it faster. Forget about the testing. Two sprints. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the conversation you want to have, right? What is, can you give me in two sprints? I only have two sprints. It's transparency. It's yeah. the team saying, we have five, we, this is five sprints, and me saying, well, that changes how I feel, how important I feel like this is. But can they then offer you options? Like if you take this out or this out, then you can have this. That's my it. favorite part okay. like that's what you get trade-offs and that's what you want when you're developing products you want to right. you have a vision you want to talk about the vision you want to talk about how to execute mm -hmm. on that vision and what are the trade-offs technically okay. that i can't see that we could make for this feature yeah. and, and make sure that we're delivering what we need so it's really really um one of my favorite processes we've we've had and has helped the product role right. um, make sure that we're making the right decisions yep. okay I would also say it's in your role as a product director, it's helped you challenge your product owners to challenge themselves. Um, okay. Because they're leaving that meeting and saying, oh, I had this idea in my head of what this feature was gonna be. But That's now, half of that. yeah, like yeah. what are some things that I could do differently? How do I get more creative? How do I think outside the box? Okay. 
Um, and it challenges the tech lead in the same way to say, well, I had this plan for the microservice that we need to build, but hold on a minute, we can't put the effort in to build another microservice. Right. We have 37 or wherever we're at right now, it continues to grow. Okay. You know, so what's another way that we could reuse something we already have? So then, just to play devil's advocate, I can see where people would say, okay, so we just took time away from work mm -hmm. to go through this planning effort to have you say, oh no, cut it down in half, and now we have to go back and figure out how we're gonna do that and then come back and pitch it again. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, it would be so much easier if you just gave us all the requirements in the beginning like you used to. Oh, but if they spent five sprints working, if they, if they spent half of the quarter working on this yeah. because we didn't do that and it didn't, uh, the effort value yeah. statement that we worked through um, in the beginning, right? I, it would, you know, waste much more time than two hours. And money. And money. Okay. So that's, so you're reducing, you're doing this to reduce risk to the company. Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it sounds like this is sort of a parallel to the idea of a product owner team. I mean, you're all in this together, mm -hmm. making these things, decisions together, which I think is great because then when you leave, you're all bought into the same ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. How long did it take to get to that? It took a lot, a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about what was it like at the beginning. And, yeah. I, and I was explaining that transparency was really hard. We could not have conversations like this okay. when we were in waterfall world, um, obviously, for all the reasons that we're yeah. talking about now. And I think what made that so hard in terms of the transformation was we didn't know how many sprints things were going to take because okay. uh, we weren't having conversations like that. And so there were plenty of projects that were, here's all the requirements, and hey, business executives, here's how long it's going to take. It's going to take to get everything. And then we would be way over what our projections were. Yeah. And it didn't work out for those projects and for folks involved there. And it was mm -hmm. unfortunate to watch because okay. we were sitting there saying, hold on a minute, there's a better way. Yeah. Um, and it just... I think that transition was the hardest part. Okay. And going back to like some of our stakeholders now, when we have our strategy grid and we talk about each project on there, they're like, how many sprints is it going to take? Like, can we do it in a small? Because I only want a small. <laughs> if, like, if you're going to do this project, I just want it to be a small. Mm -hmm. and, and so that helps us form the requirements. But, and that's an important conversation to have. I'm accustomed to hearing, can you just call it a small? No, mm -hmm. even it's, though it's not. It's how but then, can we make this a small? Do they get to make decisions or have an impact on what scope gets carved out to turn it into a small, or is that just mm -hmm. like back to the drawing we, board? We, yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely okay. liked like the session we had the other day with um, feature planning and um, talking about this project that's going to take five sprints. We did exactly that. We were like, what can okay. we take out? Um, and is that okay that we take those things out? Does mm -hmm. um, it still provide the outcome you're looking for? Things like that. Yeah. I would say our, our number one product owner in our organization is Troy. Yeah. Um, and it's so fun. We have a meeting with our president of Hearst Magazines once a week. Right. And we bring him progress on exciting projects. So how do you demonstrate progress? Uh, we demo things for him. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's the first person to say, you know, and what? how can we do this? And one of the product folks will usually jump in at that point. Um, and explain, well, you know, we're going to take it back to the team and here's what we're thinking, but it's going to probably, based on the team so far, take this level of effort. And okay. he's the first person to say, well, what if we just took this, this, and this out? And all of a sudden okay. there's a light bulb 
and it just helps us then move forward. So, so he's helping you in sort of like this Uber product owner role, see yeah. things that you might not be seeing, mm -hmm. or might not have loved. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this group that's doing the evaluation and the sprint goal meeting, is mm -hmm. that the product council or is it that separate? That's, that's separate. separate. Okay, mm -hmm. so what can you tell us about the product council? <laughs> I'm looking at, there's this picture on the wall, which hopefully you've seen with the podcast, and I'm going down the list of all the things I said I had to ask about, and this was the next thing. Yeah, I love it. Well, so, Michelle, why don't you take this one as our product lead? Sure. So um, Product Council is a session we ha try to hold every week. Okay. And it's an opportunity for anybody on this floor to bring an idea to the table. And Jimmy the mouth-breathing intern. Anybody. Mm -hmm. A okay. scrum master, a product owner, a QA person. It's called Product Council because it's usually a lot of product people are there naturally. But okay. it's really about the product itself and okay. um, ideas being pitched about the product itself. Okay. Um, it's helped, uh, it's helped, it helps with a feedback loop. So if we have new ideas, um, people can do either what we call a quick pitch, or they can do like a full blown inception deck. Okay. Um, they can share a feature that's um, launched and the results of that and how we're gonna iterate on it. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, you know, a meeting where a meeting of the minds where people give feedback and offer up ideas and critique each other's pitches and critique as well. each other work. Okay. And and some of those and most of those features end up on the strategy grid, and we take that strategy grid to um, our executive meetings. We talk about things whether they're hot or not. Okay. Um, and whether or not we feel like we should take them on or not. So usually, um, product council ideas happen um, before they get added to the strategy grid. Okay, so if I work here, I have an idea, I can get my buddy and we can put together a pitch. And I'm assuming we have access to the strategy grid so we can try to make sure it's gonna score really high mm -hmm. and put all the little things in there that are gonna move the needle. And then we can come and pitch it. And if you decide you're gonna do it, then that thing gets put into the list. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. It's interesting when you think about all of the agile scaling frameworks that exist. Right. Um, because we haven't followed just one, but I would say product council aligns very much with the SAFE framework okay. at the Kanban initiative level. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of SAFE, but uh, there are, I've, my perspective is that each scaling framework is basically a toolkit that can mm -hmm. be applied based on the problems that you're looking to solve. You guys have a disturbingly healthy understanding of Agile. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We, we talk it's about it all the time. Last a, night at dinner. Yeah, it's a disturbing passion, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but so we pulled from SAFE okay. the Kanban initiative view. Okay. Um, so if you're thinking about that, you know, ideas are coming through the funnel. And in that world, you have an epic owner. In our world, it comes from anyone. Okay. Um, and so it's you're running it through that high-level, lightweight pitch to, if it's been accepted, it, it basically carries more weight, and you bring it to the team for feature planning, okay. and then you bring it through the rest of the flow. And, and our inception tech, I mean, similar to companies like Amazon or others that do a, um, like before they start a product, they write what the... Um, uh, what the PR pitch would be, so yeah. that it's, it's it's inception deck is similar, where you have a problem statement and people are pitching it. And we had our session today actually, and a beautiful thing happened during the meeting when the product owner was pitching their idea. Uh, somebody else on the phone said, "Oh, that a version of that is in the platform already. Let me show you a similar thing that I built okay. in the platform." 
and we were had a 30-minute conversation about the parallels of this feature. And if we didn't have that meeting, that we would have rebuilt the we whole would thing. have rebuilt the mm-hmm. and and it goes back to mitigating risk for the company. Yeah picking the right projects to take on and having a feedback loop and sharing information with each other at a product level. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah, especially with 24 teams and 24 <coughs> product owners. Yeah. Everybody's working on projects we're releasing every day, so things can get missed without that meeting. Okay. And I would add what's also really cool about that is the person that was pitching it happens to be our product marketing manager. So wow. it doesn't always need to come. So does that owner. matter? Like, do I get more weight if I'm like the product marketing manager as opposed no. to if I'm Jimmy the mouth breathing intern? No. Okay. Ideas are just ideas. Yeah. They're they're wow. all equal. Okay. So just to continue down the disturbing path, uh-huh. <laughs> you've also got design thinking incorporated into your workflow. Yeah. So where how did that come into play with this? Um, so it's interesting. I was exposed to design thinking at IBM. Okay. And I worked on it as a team member uh, in my early days at IBM and fell in love with it in the same way that I did with Scrum and Agile. And so um, our design lead here um, is also a huge proponent of design thinking. And it was a a dream of hers when I started um, to say, you know, we're, we're talking about process now and we're talking about teams and how they work. And this is something that I know a lot about but need partnership to make it happen. Okay. And so we we basically started to incorporate it over time, really through the Agile PMO. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. was involved in different ways. Um, we, we tried a lot of things. User testing is a huge part of our world now that didn't exist before. Okay. Um, it took a lot of education. We had some missteps along the way. I think people started initially once they got that training. So we put a little training together, right. really lightweight, it started with this idea of like, well, we need design thinking tickets and let's put some design thinking tickets in the sprint so that we have our next steps. And it was like, whoa, hold on. Yeah. And now who will do the robotic dance? Okay. Yeah. So, so it's creative we, time. Yeah. So exactly. So we had to take a step back and just sort of help people understand that it's a way of working and it's not a process that we need to follow to a T. Right. And it depends on the problem you're trying to solve. You know, are we doing empathy maps? Are we doing user interviews? Are we, um, you know, doing our as-is scenario and our to-be scenario? Um, And that actually was something that we have now required in our inception deck. So we talk about our elevator pitch. Okay. um, And then we have to, as no matter who you are, present here's the as-is. Okay. And here's the to-be of where we want to go based on the pain points or opportunities we've identified. Okay. Um, and that is a part of the pitch and a part of the research upfront design thinking that's being done. Yeah. It's usually in partnership with design on the team okay. and product. Mm-hmm. And then they pull in tech um, once a little bit of the legwork has been done upfront. Okay. And I would say that it's more here we treat it as a toolkit. So mm-hmm. like if this feature is large yeah. um, and I'm not really sure what my problem statement is, maybe I would do something do do pull something out of the toolkit that I wouldn't do if it was a medium project and we had a really clear problem statement. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe then I would just do some user testing and um, pulling some data and um, a couple of interviews. So um, we try to make it lightweight, but really help inform some of the product discovery process. Okay. And use it as a toolkit. Cool. So I want to ask you about the 
the PMO again. I want to go back to this. So who's in the Agile PMO? So our Agile PMO is made up of Director of Agile Operations. Okay. Um, our four product directors. Mm-hmm. Um, our design lead. Okay. And our VP of Engineering. Okay. And uh, that rolls up into our CTO. And how many PMPs in that group? Um, just me. Okay. So a whole bunch of people in the PMO, only one of them is a PMP, and none of them have the job of project manager or portfolio manager or mm-hmm. program manager. Yep. So what is the job of the Agile PMO? So the job of our Agile PMO is to enable our teams to succeed okay. um, with whatever that takes. Okay. Whether it comes to staffing and hiring, which we're making those decisions on. Okay. Um, whether it comes to, and we, we do that in partnership with the team based okay. on their needs. Um, so we're servicing the scrum teams and we're also servicing our, our stakeholders. So okay. we're taking in requests and we are helping to prioritize them accordingly in partnership with the, scr- the product team. Okay. So we actually did a little drawing for you. Um, oh, cool. Which was on our sheet. I'll take a picture of it. Uh, maybe we'll do a better one. Done the yeah. Yeah. Okay, or you can do a better one. Yeah, we'll um, do a better one. It's sort of two circles and they overlap. So we have uh, our process. You have to call it a Venn diagram. Okay. Because people <laughs> like that word. Yes, we drew a Venn diagram. Right. We, we drew a Venn diagram of, and it, it's strategy on one side and um, process on the other. And okay. they overlap. Because if you didn't have them overlapping, we don't think that the strategy would be able to get done without okay. our process. Yep. So we have. So the process enables the execution of the strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's okay. interesting, um, you know, this was drawn as you were giving your presentation recently, and my mind went to, all right, who makes up our PMO, and where do they fit in that Venn mm-hmm. diagram? Um, because we definitely have some folks in there that are very strategy heavy. And we have some folks in there like myself that are very process, process heavy. Yeah. Um, and then we have folks like Michelle, for example, who's somewhere right in the middle. Okay. Um, and you can definitely hear that as she's speaking about the way yeah. we're working. She's got a process mind. But that balance is important. Right. And, and the conflict that it creates would be important too. Exactly. And so there is really healthy conflict that happens in this Agile PMO um, in the sense that uh, there are strong opinions that help us get better. Okay. And we meet every Monday at the start of the week. Um, while we haven't formalized it in this way, I've really reflected and realized that we run our Agile PMO as a scrum team. <laughs> and of course, um, she, wow. of course okay. she thought so, that. <laughs> and, but when I think about it, as funny as that is, we have a Monday meeting where yeah. we run through our top priorities of the week. And we have a, we have a Slack channel where we're okay. talking all day every day. Um, so anything that's coming up that we need to make that group aware of, we're okay. going throughout the day. Um, and then every Friday, it's not a formal retro, but we have an end-of-day regroup okay. where we sit actually in this room that we're in now, this really comfy room, and we just say, what are your biggest hurdles we go around and what can we help each other with? Okay. Um, and then we start over again on the following Monday. And it it's worked well. Um, I think it's a combination of that and... Um, one other thing that in my mind has been super valuable for us, okay. which is our sprint reports okay, and the way that we send them. So if we want to go down the yes, path. Yes, I was, I I was going to let you off the hook with two more quick questions. Okay. Listen, now that you opened the door, <laughs> I told you it's a disgusting passion. But um, <laughs> So we have a, our 
sprint reports that our Scrum Masters send at the end okay. of every two-week sprint. And our sprint report is something that we've iterated on over time. And it's gotten to a place that I think it's, at this moment in time, giving everyone just the right amount of info in terms of what they need. Okay. So we talk about, did we meet our sprint goals? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Checkbox. A picture of our burndown chart. Okay. Four to five key metrics. So we talked about agile metrics before. What's our sprint predictability? Sure. What was, what's our average velocity? Okay. How many bugs did we crush this sprint? Okay. And how many were unplanned? Okay. Because that's important to us. Um, for the goals that weren't met, yeah. why? Okay. And those always come up in retro. Good. And then we add in that sprint report the action items that the team came up with from their retro. Okay. Um, so while some places find that meeting to be important to be completely private, mm -hmm. um, the value that we've seen as the Agile PMO is reading the action items from the retro and seeing how we can help. Okay. Um, so what we, my ask of the Agile PMO team, product directors and VP of engineering and design lead, right. is you have to read the sprint reports. Um, I know we're now at 24 teams, so there's more That's to read. That's 24 reports. That's that a lot of reading. That is 24 reports. Okay. Um, I would say our product team doesn't read all of them because they're focused on their subset of teams. Okay. So, Michelle, how many sprint reports do you read in a sprint? Um, I usually read four. And how long does each one take you? It's five minutes, okay. like very quickly, scanning through, um, just having a pulse on the team and, and seeing if there's anything that we can do to make our um, process moves, um, move through the best it can be, um, okay. making sure it's healthy, um, and it's quick. So that's my sanity check to know, as the Agile PMO, yeah. how can we help? Okay. Whatever those action items are that have come up, if, yeah. if it's clear that it's like something the team is owning and they're doing the thing, we stay out of it. Okay. If it's clearly something that says, hey, we needed help from management the here, or they, yeah, yeah. They, it's broken, they changed our priorities on us without us being aware, whatever the thing is, right. you know, our approach is we're here for support, so tell us when something's not working because we want to fix it. Okay. Yeah. So everything that you've talked about is so awesome that I'm going to be talking about this in class because uh -huh. I've not seen one like this, but how much... Um, time do you spend at this sort of meta level improvement of our approach to agile every week because this sounds like it takes a lot of time and and like this when i talk about this in class i know that people are saying well, it's already so 18 hours every two weeks like how much extra time do i have to spend on this it's which seems like you have to do it for it to work well so i'd love to understand your question a little bit more because what i would say is my my job is to make sure that at a meta level things are working. That was the perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But it's not something where, and I guess this maybe is the would be the thing to argue against. The folks are going to be like, well, I can totally run this op agile operations thing while I'm the product owner and the development team member for. You can't do no. that. You are focused on tuning the machine. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I would say, um, you know, speaking from experience, right now I am down to Scrum Masters, so I'm hiring if anybody's okay. looking for a role. Um, and so I'm stepping in to cover for those teams, Okay. and I recognize how impossible that task is. So I am looking to hire as soon as possible. Okay. Um, because there's, I staff one Scrum Master to every two teams, because there's a lot of work there. Okay. Um, so 
focusing on the PMO is extremely difficult to do yeah. while also being a team member on a team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's something that our PMO has been super helpful to me in taking on some of my responsibilities. Michelle actually stepped in and okay. was covering one of the scrum teams as a scrum master for a hot minute. So like a cross-functional supportive team exactly. doing yeah. that for each other. And yeah. it's interesting because we were talking about how we formed as a PMO because it was very grassroots. Like we didn't, st- nobody came to us and was like, you're in the PMO? PMO, you're yeah. in again, let's do this, let's make this. And um, we've all been working together for um, three or four years and we've kind of formed this Trust. on our own yeah mm-hmm. and it has been working mm-hmm. as far as keeping each other accountable okay. making sure people are reading the sprint reports yeah. um, and taking action when one of their teams is in trouble so it's not only one person mm-hmm. making okay. sure that um, yeah. it's happening but it's really a group effort and we're okay. not afraid to call each other out the trust is there to your point yeah. like tr- because we have the trust you know we're, we speak bluntly Um, I think the culture that we have is one where people are honest with each other and they're still respectful about it, but you know, we'll get into it. And if you asked any one of us in our PMO, they would say, oh yeah, I remember last week I was getting into it in a moment, a heated moment and we figured it out. And, um, and I think that has helped us be as strong as we are. Okay. Yeah. So last question, Mm -hmm. um, for all the people who are struggling with getting this stuff up and running, even half as good as you guys have it, what advice do you have? Somebody who's maybe a couple months into trying to turn their waterfall PMO into mm-hmm. something that can support Agile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, don't be afraid to take risks. Okay. Um, that's a big one, and I think we wouldn't be where we are if we hadn't taken that step to to make change. Okay. Um, and it it really did start from the bottom up. Okay. Um, you know, I think working really closely with team members to help them understand the value in working in an agile environment okay. caught on really quickly when people saw it succeeding. Okay. Um, but you also need an advocate. Uh, I think when I think about how we scaled, and, and Michelle, you can agree with me on this or not, but we had advocates that didn't even realize they were advocates okay. um, coming out of different groups that saw the work that we were putting in um, and at different points when our team needed to collaborate somewhere, they wanted to help get it done. Okay. Um, and I think that was really valuable in helping us succeed. Cool. Um, and, and I would yeah. just go back to maybe the transparency part from my side. Because okay. that's from my, the product side. From the product side, because okay. that is my literal my my literal job is to make sure that the business understands the technology we're building and be transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's of course why I love the agile process because it allows me to have all of the trade-offs and information I need in order to make sure. decisions. Mm-hmm. So just don't be afraid of transparency because we were there and we know that it Even was, when it brings up scary stuff. Even what, even though you're pulling back the curtain yeah. and realizing that you're not burning down and your velocity isn't predictable mm-hmm. and all of the things, um, I would say that transparency will win. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, don't be afraid of it. I'd mm-hmm. add one more. Okay, <laughs> one more. One more, last right. one, patience. Yes. Um, I think it's yeah. Uh, and four I, years is not. I mean, that's yeah. that's a good bit of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that there had had we d- not had patience, we wouldn't be here. Okay, for sure. Cool. 
All right, thank you for doing this. So, Michelle, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, you could reach me by email. So, okay. um, michellesd02 at gmail.com. Okay. And Jacqueline? And Jacqueline, uh, so J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-Y-N, because a lot of people spell it different ways, um, dot talpilar. T as in Tom, A-L, P as in Paul, A-L-A-R, at gmail.com. Cool. All right, well, thank you very much for doing this. really appreciate it. And hopefully it offered some encouraging thoughts in the minds of the people at the PMOs that are slogging through the mess right now. Well, so. thank you so much for <laughs> having <laughs> us. This was so much fun. Cool, thanks.